Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guest is Doug McIntyre of Fox Sports to talk about this week's U.S. Men's National Team World Cup qualifiers. We've had some great guests lately, including Robin Fraser, Ted Filipakos, and Sarah Zadrazil, so check those out. I've also just launched a Substack newsletter for all my writing, which I'm really excited about. That includes a big feature on Jesse Marsh, and I'll be on the ground for that Substack newsletter covering every U.S. Men's World Cup qualifier. You can get a free or paid subscription at grantwall.substack.com. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your support with that. Before we get to Doug McIntyre, let's start with some talk about the soccer weekend with my friend Chris Whittingham, who you can hear on Univision, Paramount Plus, Inter-Miami Radio, and the Dan Lebitard Show. Chris, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm also a proud subscriber of grantwall.substack.com. Excited to read your coverage from World Cup qualifying. Thank you so much for doing that. It, it's really nice of you. I I really should have just given you a comp and, and, and might still arrange that. But it's very a, a very nice thing of you. I to, like to support good soccer writing, even if it's from my friends. <laughs> Thanks so much. Um, but I'm really excited about that trip. We'll talk more about that uh, later here. But first off, I got a question for you, my friend. How mm. many games did you call this weekend? <laughs> uh, I did three this weekend. So. Uh, Friday night, I had the Inter-Miami Derby match with Orlando City uh, for radio. We also did like an hour pre-match show as well for that. Saturday afternoon, I did Atlanta United hosting Nashville. Nashville getting their first away win of the season. And this we're taping this on Sunday night. This afternoon slash early evening, I did Gotham FC playing host to Orlando Pride and NWSL. Orlando Pride with a ridiculously good goal. Erica Timrak with like a cross shot, shot cross uh, to take all three points away from home in uh, Gotham FC's home match against Orlando. That's a lot of games. That's a lot of minutes. Uh, how is your voice handling all of this? Uh, good. I, I actually, uh, a colleague of mine at Vista World Link, uh, Mike Watts, recommended to me a kind of tea. It is an organic <laughs> tea called Throat Coat, which is specifically for throat health. And I knew it was good because, oh, I forgot her. Was, I, I think it's Vanessa Hudgens, uh, the former Disney star, uh, sang the national anthem at a Phoenix Suns NBA Finals game because she's from the Phoenix area and was walking around the corridors of the arena holding up this tea as what she was going to drink before she sang the national anthem on national television. So I know it's the good stuff. And so I, I, I drink a healthy amount of that every weekend as I'm doing all these games. Prospective sponsor for the podcast, <laughs> I, I, I think, right there. Uh, you're the hardest working man in soccer media. It, it, that's an incredible amount of stuff. And obviously, you're doing so much else with the Levitard show. But I really appreciate you coming on this show. Happy to uh, do it's, it. it. It's been a little while since we've had a chance. So I, I'm excited to do this. Um, and I want to get into a little bit of the news of the weekend as well here. I think the biggest news is Cristiano Ronaldo returning to Manchester United. And I'm wondering, what do we make of this move? And are you surprised it's United? Well, in the way that it played out, in the end, no. Um, and when you look at, for example, the comments that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer made at his press conference, it seemed pretty clear that... He's like, you know, he lays out the welcome mat. We're ready to bring him back. And I kind of wonder from like a leverage standpoint how they were kind of playing Manchester City in the transfer market because it, on paper, it doesn't make any sense for, for Cristiano Ronaldo to go to Manchester City. 
just from a fit standpoint, it doesn't fit at all what they've tried to do. People have gotten on them for spending money, and they have. But it's not in search of the superstar player that, quote, sells shirts and does those kinds of things. It's towards a vision, Pep Guardiola's vision. It's buying young. It's buying players that fit into a style of play. It, they're all expensive, but who's the biggest star that they've signed really in the last decade? I mean, it might be Kevin De Bruyne, who wasn't a star when he signed from Wolfsburg. Right. So it didn't fit at all, and yet it was kind of appetizing. It was kind of appetizing to see maybe the possibility. Of, like, I, I got excited. I'm a Manchester City fan. I kind of I was excited at the notion of Messi playing in Manchester. I was excited at the notion of Ronaldo playing there. But it was always going to be Manchester United. And, like, it, it kind of had to be. Because for me, right. the major takeaway when he asked for a transfer was, hang on a second, where is he going? If he's asking out from Juventus, who's the club? Because Paris Saint-Germain has clearly gone all in on Messi. Chelsea went all in on Lukaku. Manchester City went all in on Harry Kane and also Jack Grealish. These are the three clubs with Ronaldo-like money. Who's who's left? And Manchester United, I guess, dug through their couch cushions to find the money <laughs> for Cristiano Ronaldo, and it kind of was the only place they could have been. And they didn't have to pay a heck of a lot for the transfer fee. He only has had one year left on his contract, signed a two-year deal. Um and and Juventus, I think, kind of didn't want him if like they didn't have to keep him, and so yeah, Manchester United just it makes sense. It's just interesting to me that it, it kind of the United aspect of oh they're going to get Ronaldo back. They didn't really enter publicly until right before it happened, you know, right before they announced it. And so you look at this Manchester United team; they've made some big additions also this summer um in addition to Ronaldo and you know I, I do you think Ronaldo fits with what they're wanting to achieve no no I don't <laughs> and it, like in in theory Ronaldo does Ronaldo fit any team like I mean other than PSG just because it's attackers who don't defend and are going to score a bunch of goals but can you try can you trust them in big Champions League winning moments it, it, he doesn't fit. When you when you look at their signings, Jaden Sancho is young. Harry Maguire was young-ish when they signed him. You know, bringing in Rafael Varane was a, a quality center back into a team that needed it. I actually thought Manchester United, for as much criticism as they've taken recently, have built pretty well. Just in terms of signing on signing, Aaron Wan-Bissaka was a good signing at right back. They were building piece by piece. And Ronaldo doesn't fit any of this. He's not young. He doesn't, he doesn't have prospects for the future. You're trying to win now. I don't think this is a win-now team. Like, I think this is a team that's building, finished second in the league, probably wants to contend with Manchester City, Liverpool, and Chelsea to win the league, but you wouldn't favor them at this point, and they're going all in. Because when you sign Ronaldo for two years, you're going all in. And so I, I don't... I don't think this is actually going to work. Um, he might score goals. He's scored goals everywhere he's gone. But Juve, with him in the team for a full season, struggled to qualify for the Champions League last year. He's not necessarily guaranteed wins. He might not fit your system. I looked up the numbers last year um, because of the conversation around Ronaldo. He's one of the worst pressing forwards in the world. <laughs> in, in, in Europe's top five leagues, if you look at his pressing numbers on football reference, and they have the stats bomb data and all this, right. he's in the first percentile. <laughs> of pressing forwards. It's hard to build a defensive structure around him. I don't think it makes sense. It'll be fun. It'll be entertaining. I want to watch every Manchester United game now, but I don't think necessarily he solves their problems, and I don't think this is part of a longer-term vision. This feels like 
a Manchester United mistake that they've made before with Alexis Sanchez, with even Paul Pogba to a certain extent. Big name signings that don't really fit your overall vision. What if he's Ibrahimovic, though? That wasn't a bad signing for Manchester United. But Ibrahimovic occasionally came off the bench. And is Cristiano Ronaldo anything but the first name on the team sheet? Is he anything but the guy that's taking your penalties? Is oh, he anything- I think he won't start. I think he won't start every game. Really? Oh, yeah. Man, I, I, think, I think Cristiano Ronaldo is nailed on. I think he has to. Interesting. Like, like, you know, just given his reputation, given how he treats managers who pull him off after 70 minutes, <laughs> never mind not start him. He's not having not starting. So for me, I, I think he is going to start every game that he's available for. <laughs> And honestly, the other thing that would be concerning to me if I were a United fan is one of the biggest reasons why your form has turned around the last season and a half is because of the introduction of Bruno Fernandes. And Bruno Fernandes and Cristiano Ronaldo did not work together at the Euros. Bruno Fernandes at one point was called by Jose Mourinho playing with 10 players because he was so bad at the Euros (laughs) and because he collided so much with Cristiano Ronaldo. So I, I don't know how he is going to fit with this team. I have real doubts. I like this the, the stridency of your argument here. I, I actually think it could be more successful than you're making it out to be, and I kind of like the fact that mm-hmm. we're disagreeing a little bit here. I, I think he may not start every game, and I think they'll be better off if he doesn't. Um, and I think he can be a real weapon coming off the bench at times. And I think when it comes to Champions League, we'll see how everyone fits together. But I, I, I do think that he can provide uh, some value, given his experience, given what he can still do from time to time. Is he the Cristiano Ronaldo of, of old? No, but there's still a, a player there. I, I do think that a couple of things are interesting here, right? Just a week ago, Ronaldo goes on his social media and chastises all of these people reporting that you know, he might move from Juventus. Like, what's that about? Like, <laughs> and then he, and then he moves. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's absolutely Human ridiculous. beings are inconsistent sometimes. And then also I, I ran into a few Man United fans this weekend who weren't particularly happy about this signing. Really? Uh, in part, in part, like some were. So like, yeah. it, like, you know, always coming home. This is where he came when he was a kid and, and made a huge name for himself. But, some of the Man United fans I talked to, uh, friends of mine, were like, one, they don't think he necessarily fits with the team that well, and he's going to suck a lot of the oxygen out of the air. And two, they don't like his off-the-field off the stuff yeah. and, and the whole rape investigation, which mm-hmm. uh, has had a lot written about it, a lot very credible, by the way, uh, out in Vegas. And... Uh, and, and People have rightly had big issues with that, mm-hmm. and and so and and issues with uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer saying, "Oh, he's a great human being." Well, I don't know. Um, yeah, and, and so has has Ronaldo even been in the United States? Like, when was the last time he set foot on U.S. soil? Is like he in a position where he's like? doesn't want to come to the United States because of all this? Yeah, I, I, it's kind of difficult to have a counterfactual because I think since that's happened, in theory, Juventus would have gone on a summer tour twice, but because of the pandemic, right. there, there hasn't even been that, well, he's obviously not going to the U.S., because or for you know the international champions cup or whatever because he's trying to avoid getting charged but i i don't i don't know like i i I, it's it's kind of tough and you know the difficult thing about these sorts of things is they're just kind of out there 
And because there has been no charges, because there's been no criminal proceedings, it's difficult to really know kind of how to, like, because he's carried on and lived this entire football existence at Juventus. Juventus fans haven't really had to reckon with it in the same way, but because it's new, it's movement, he's in the news, he's being celebrated, all of a sudden these things come back up again. So, yeah, it, it would be tough for Manchester United fans to reckon, look, I'm a Miami Dolphins fan, and they've been linked with Deshaun Watson uh, over the course of the last few days, and then it's really hard because, you know, how do you separate someone from their performance when they have not been charged or prosecuted or convicted of a crime and so it's it's really difficult from a moral standpoint if you're a man united fan who's conscientious to be like hey i'm i gotta root for this guy when he scores goals because you know if you're if you're a human being if you're a woman um you know you you certainly don't want to do that the story to read if anyone wants more info is in der spiegel a very respected german magazine did a story on on uh the ronaldo case out in nevada a couple years ago um Let's move on a little bit here. Another superstar, Lionel Messi, debuts with PSG as a sub, of all things, in a 2-0 win at Reims, which I learned how to pronounce uh, during the Women's <laughs> World Cup in 2019 because the U.S. women played two games in Reims. Uh, Champagne capital of France, by the way. If, uh, everyone should go there if you get a chance. Um, that's the place where Lionel Messi makes his PSG debut and not much to say about his debut. He didn't, wasn't on for that long, didn't do a heck of a lot. Mbappe had two goals, they won. Uh, I guess my big thing is, I'm just asking myself, will we ever get used to seeing Lionel Messi wearing a PSG kit? I think I will, just because they'll play in big Champions League matches, he'll be involved in big moments, and so you'll kind of be able to separate. And also, I think this has more to do with Barcelona than it does with Messi. Because Messi, I think, got too big for Barcelona in a way, where because of his status, he's got to be at a club that's competing at the very highest level. And given the fact that they couldn't even afford him, and the players that they were trying to bring in on free transfers to kind of no Messi stay are not the highest level players. And so Barcelona is graduated into a new era. They've got to bring through young players, although they apparently want to sell one to RB Leipzig. Why? I have no idea. You should be trying to keep every young player you have. But they're in a different stage now. And Messi doesn't really fit that stage anymore. And so in some ways, going to this team that are all of a sudden the co-favorites along with Man City to win the Champions League makes more sense. And I think as he kind of plays in those big games, it'll start to feel right. But yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't a soccer fan when he began at Barcelona. And so I've, I only know him at Barcelona, but I don't only know him at Barcelona in quite that way, which is came through the little 18-year-old or 16-year-old, however young he was when he debuted and he scored that first goal. And the commentator who's now working for ESPN said, remember the name, Lionel Messi. And, you know, kind of how momentous that was, momentous his, his era at the club is. But I think just kind of given how much players move, I'll eventually get used to it. But yeah, it's 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 hard to comprehend. Yeah, I was also disappointed that Neymar came off for Messi because this robbed us of the chance, maybe the only chance to see Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe on the field together at the same time. If Mbappe moves before the end of the window, we'll know in the next couple of days if he goes to Real Madrid. El Chiringuito will let us know. <laughs> TikTok. <laughs> um, and... <laughs> And, you know, that would have been kind of nice. I have no idea if Mbappe is going to move or not. Uh, it seems a little silly for me that Real Madrid has been pleading poor house 
all year long. That's why we need to do the Super League. And suddenly they're able to make a 200 million euro (laughs) bid for Mbappe. Um, And also, too, he's only got one year left on his deal. He can go on a free at the end of this season. Uh, So unless Real Madrid just is like, we've got to have Mbappe, we need to have some big, big, big superstar signing. Uh, But I have no idea how it's going to shake out over the next 48 hours. Um, And then I hate PSG's uniform shorts. I am a Mm. connoisseur of uniform shorts. They look like the old Bulls NBA shorts from the 90s, which makes sense because they're Jordan brand. It looks ridiculous. (laughs) I don't want to make too big a deal about it, but it looks bad. Mm. And, And that sort of disappoints me when I... And watching PSG. I saw you tweeting about them, but I hadn't seen them until now. Uh, I'm looking at a shot of them in the warm-up. I guess I gotta I gotta watch it in real action. I guess maybe because they're short enough, they still look like soccer shorts <laughs> to me. But yeah, that design is very basketball-y. And I actually think that uh, the Jordan brand has done everything with PSG spot Correct. on. The new away this. kit this year is gorgeous. I wish that was the Inter Miami kit. Uh, <laughs> it's like everything that they've done has been spot on. As a matter of fact, the Jordan brand, I think has made PSG cool in a way that even having all of those players hasn't. Because hmm. Manchester City has won a lot. They've brought in a bunch of great players who are who, you know who have international recognition. But PSG has gone to another level because you see their gear everywhere. Why? Because it's right. cool. The Jordan brand stuff is awesome. So I guess uh, maybe this is the first time that they've missed the mark. A rare misfire there. Uh, there actually were other games this weekend. The big one, Liverpool won, Chelsea won. Chelsea gets a point at Anfield, playing with 10 men for the entire second half. And I think if you're Thomas Tuchel, you have to feel pretty good about the way things turned out, given the circumstances. Yeah, and I mean, even at 11 v 11, how under the cosh they were for the first 20 minutes, Trent Alexander-Arnold was a man possessed in the first half. So the fact that you went 1-0 up, never mind, uh, you know, like went on to to get a point away from home at Anfield, which was kind of like the first, oh no, Anfield is back kind of crowd that we saw where every touch... I mean, it was just like, it was almost like they played one of those pandemic era soundtracks of exactly what you would fire off at every second uh, for big moments in Anfield. I guess the, the big moment is the decision. Um, I, my, the co-host, the, my former co-host on Chelsea Mike Up, my current uh, colleague on the Dan Levitard show, Mike Ryan, has been fuming at this decision for 48 hours <laughs> because Chelsea not only feel aggrieved here, but they have previous with Anthony Taylor, the referee. Non-Chelsea fans would have no idea, but Anthony Taylor is the subject of ire in the, in the minds of, of Chelsea fans for previous decisions in FA Cup finals and Premier League matches. So he has been fuming, insisting that First off, it was it was a penalty, but it should only be yellow. But then once the rule gets discovered that if it's a denial of a goal-scoring opportunity, it has to be red, then it's, well, it was never a handball to begin with. Um, <laughs> so I've looked at it. I hate the handball law. I think it is overly punitive. And now, in the newest iteration, having read it five times over the weekend, it is unbelievably vague now, which is... Oh, you know, if it's an unnatural position, which is determined to be, if it's not in the physiological movement that one would expect, and it's like, how the hell do you determine that? How do you determine the carom offing, you know, coming off of Reese James's thigh? The referee ends up giving it because there's a little swing of the arm there. The VAR check, by the way, was way too quick for me. The referee needs right. to look at it, but either way, it changes the game. But Chelsea are a really good team. 
I mean, we've they seen really from the are. chances. They, they can defend now. They can. Well, they've been able to defend for six months under Tuchel. The question is, could they add the scoring? And the way that they just dispatched Arsenal lets you know, although, I mean, scoring against Arsenal might not be that hard. <laughs> uh, but either way, just the way that they've looked, they're unbelievable. They are the co-title favorites with Manchester City. And that is proven more so by a draw than by any of their victories earlier this season. Yeah, I... I, I... I am with you on the 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 penalty call and the sending off. The the, the sending off seemed harsh to me. Um, but it's I, it's, I it's in the rules. It has to be. Yeah. Right? And, no, I know. And, and that's it's, just like the overly. There's the handball law, which is overly vague, and the decision that it has to be a red, which is overly harsh and specific. I'm also curious, and and I don't want to get too much into U.S. men's national team because Doug McIntyre is going to do that plenty in in a couple of minutes here. Does Christian Pulisic have a spot in this Chelsea side? It's tough, man, because I, I was kind of hoping from a Pulisic point of view that Tuchel would change system in the offseason, but it also would have been idiotic if he changed system in the offseason. He just won the Champions League final. Why are you changing system? Um, I wonder if that's what the Jules Koundé transfer is about, maybe bringing in another center back to move to a four so you can get more attackers on the field. But as long as there's only three attacking positions on the field, it's going to be hard because Lukaku definitely has one. It seems like Mason Mount definitely has another. And you didn't spend $70 million on Kai Havertz to not play him. So, I mean, you also had Hakeem Ziyech who had a really good preseason. You still have Werner, Pulisic as well. Hudson-Odoi is not playing much. Um, Pulisic played, I believe, in a preseason match at wingback. He might have right. to in order to get on the field. But, yeah, it's, there's a lot of competition for not very many places in that Chelsea forward line. Yeah, and, and we'll see about the whole COVID situation with Pulisic. Uh, I recorded the interview with Doug McIntyre on Friday. We're recording this on Sunday night, and we still don't know for sure uh, what Pulisic's chances are of playing for the U.S. this week. He has been called in, so we will see on that. Um, wanted to talk real quick about my visit to Leipzig. For my mm. Jesse Marsh story, which is on uh, my Substack site, about a 4,500-word story, which felt great to write an old-fashioned magazine-style story <laughs> and interview people in person and go to a game and be in a stadium for me for the first time since March of 2020. Um, and I was really excited about doing this story just because I, I go back a long ways with Jesse Marsh. I, I would say right now he has risen higher than any U.S. American, any American soccer coach ever in European club soccer. And, and there's something really impressive about that. Uh, you know, Leipzig, they did win when I was there for an ill against Stuttgart, but they did lose to uh, Wolfsburg on Sunday. So they're one and two in the league to start the season. I know Jesse's not going to be thrilled entirely with that, but I was glad to be there on, on site uh, when he got his first German Bundesliga win. So um, I think there's a lot to to latch onto in that story, and I'm going to be doing more stories like that uh, moving forward here for uh, the sub the Substack site. So hopefully you'll get your your money's worth on your subscription, Chris. <laughs> uh, I, I actually unfortunately want to take it into the most in the most sports radio direction possible, which is how much. I mean, he very clearly does not feel the pressure. But how much pressure is there? This is a club that expects to finish at the very least second in the Bundesliga every year that's lost two of their first three matches. And look, unfortunately, until an American proves it at this high of a level, every American is going to come in with a little bit of skepticism. There was a little bit of a, a political dynamic about him being appointed into the job in the first place. So, 
how much pressure do you think is there on him and how much I, it doesn't seem very much at all is he feeling? Yeah, I mean, right now I would say it's not five alarm situation yet. Uh, and and Wolfsburg is the team they lost to on Sunday is the only perfect team in, in the Bundesliga to start the season. The loss to Mainz in the opening game was a surprise, um, especially since Mainz was missing several guys due to COVID. But uh, the two losses Leipzig has had are 1-0. Um, and so I think that, uh, you know, it, it's still zero points from those two games, and he's not thrilled about it. But I don't think there's a ton of pressure on him quite yet. He's got the international break now, for, so he's going to have a couple of weeks. Um, and when I was there, there definitely was a vibe about Sabitzer uh, in his likely impending move to Bayern Munich that was dominating a lot of the local media coverage of the Leipzig team. And I think once the transfer window's over, I think Jesse will probably be pretty happy that it's over. <laughs> um, and we talked about like what is success this season. And at the very least, it's finishing top four in the league and in qualifying for champions league, you know, obviously, um, you know, they want, he wants to win the league, but like, I think that's going to be pretty tough. Um, and they just got a champions league draw from hell. Oh my God. With, with man, man city and PSG in the same group. So that's going to be a challenge, but I, I do think Marsh likes challenges and, and wants to play the top team. So, um, We'll see how it goes, you know. Uh, this is a team, Leipzig, that lost some players, like Upu Meccano um, uh, to Bayern Munich. They're going to end up losing Sabitzer here. Konate to Liverpool. Yeah, I, I also don't think Andre Silva, their big signing up front, has gotten off to a very good start, uh, and I think that certainly would help if he does. But uh, I don't think there's a, a huge amount of concern there. And Marsh and I talked about, like, uh, he feels some security in the sense that he feels the support of Red Bull, his, his Red Bull bosses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a guy who's coached Red Bull teams in New York. Salzburg had success in both those places. And so uh, that said, you know, he's like, look, you know, Germany is a very results oriented culture. And so process is really important in how they go about doing things every day to, to Jesse. But uh, he acknowledges he got to get results too. So um, we'll see, like you know, how things go after the the FIFA window because um, yeah, you need to get some points and uh, and right now they're on three out of, out of three games. But uh, uh, I also wanted to talk a little bit about, and this is going to be on my Substack site as well. Of uh, I'm going to be at every U.S. men's national team World Cup qualifier, all 14 of them, including three in the next 10 days. And just really excited to to be doing that. I'll have a kind of a big magazine-style story off of every World Cup qualifier. Um, and I've already got some stuff in the notebook with Tyler Adams uh, from my visit to Leipzig. Sat down with him there and uh, had a, a really fun conversation. That's going to be on the site here in the next few days as well yeah and i mean 
this is this is the time. This is what we've been waiting for for four years for the U.S. men's national team to go again in World Cup qualifiers. And now you kind of come in with all this armament. We're talking about players who didn't get called in. Most of them, oddly enough, teenagers, right? Like, I would love to have seen Kate Cowell in this national team. You know, I, I, some of the guys have struggled with their club situations. I saw Sam Vines finally started in the league for Royal Antwerp today. Reggie Cannon still got to get his situation sorted. He might go to the championship. Uh, so... Daryl DK coming off of injury. There's all kinds of dynamics now where, like, Greg Berhalter has to make some decisions even with a 26-man squad. So I'm really excited about how this is going to look. The big news is Ricardo Pepe getting called in as we're recording this. Uh, I don't know if I look distracted at any point. Uh, Austin FC are playing FC Dallas. Ricardo Pepe scored two goals in five minutes. Oh, wow. And part of a three goals in five minutes flurry, Jesus Ferreira breaking it up. They're 4-1 up at halftime as we're recording this, but Pepe getting a couple of goals, which is great to see, and now might be forcing Greg Berhalter to chuck him on on 75 minutes. Josh Sargent <laughs> hasn't played uh, in, in or, you know, very much for Norwich, and so you know maybe Ricardo Pepe's got to get a serious look in here. Interesting stuff, my friend. And we got plenty now with Doug McIntyre about the U.S. men's national team. Really good discussion with Doug, who I'm thrilled is back with Fox Sports now, covering the sport again. Chris, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Grant. Now, here's my interview with Doug McIntyre. Our guest now is one of my favorite people in the media business. Doug McIntyre is a Fox Sports soccer writer and U.S. men's national team insider. He has been covering American soccer going back to 2002, including previously at ESPN and Yahoo Sports. You can find him on Twitter at McIntyre. Doug, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's great to see you, Grant. Thanks for having me. Lots to talk about. We're recording this on Friday. We're coming out Monday morning. This week, we have the biggest U.S. men's national team games in four years, really, with three World Cup qualifiers coming up at El Salvador, hosting Canada, and at Honduras. What are you most looking forward to seeing in these games? I'm looking forward to that first whistle-blowing grant. It's been a long time. World Cup qualifying is awesome in CONCACAF. It's crazy, as you know. Uh, we got a little bit of a preview this summer at the Gold Cup uh, in the Nations League, some of the shenanigans, shenanigans that go on. But that's amplified during qualifying, and especially when you go on the road uh, you know, to some of these smaller countries where the entire country is you know, against whatever team the host is playing. And that goes for hotel staff, bus drivers, you name, you know, the police that are guarding you, you name it. So, you know, you've been down there, the fields are terrible. Um, it's always interesting. I mean, the, the, the sort of the moment I like to think of, and I can't remember if you were there, Grant, but in the 2014 cycle, the U.S. went down to uh, Antigua and Barbuda. They played in Antigua and Eddie Johnson yes. scores, scores a goal, right? Right at the end of the match, the U.S. wins. Um, but, you know, if you were, if you were in the press, box as, as we were. You're looking on Twitter. Everyone's killing the U.S. team. How is this even a game? How is it even close? And I felt the same way. And to get to the press conference after the game, we literally had to walk across the field. It was a torrential downpour and it was a cricket oval. And the center of the field was like raised up three or four inches from the rest of the field. There's huge puddles. And at the time, I was just like, you know, Barcelona and that was in the middle of their tiki-taki area. Like, they couldn't have done anything on that field. They couldn't have played. So it, it really is it's a whole different animal and and it's a street fight more than, than it's a soccer game. So I, I can't wait for it to start. And that brings me to my next question. Only six players on the U.S. roster have played in World Cup qualifiers before. Do you think 
a player like Serginho Dest, who happens to be a Barcelona player, yeah. who has not played in Central America before, do you think he fully knows what's coming in terms of what you're talking about? The hostile yeah. fan response, the field quality, the gamesmanship, the CONCACAF refereeing? It really is one of those things that you, no matter how much you get told about it, you know, no matter how much your teammates try to prepare you, you can only really understand it if you if you experience it yourself. And I, I can't remember if Dest has played in CONCACAF games at the youth level, if he's played, you know, in some of those those youth tournaments, CONCACAF championships against Mexico, things like that, that are often in a lot of the same venues that the U.S. is going to visit during the octagonal. But yeah, there's a, there's going to be a learning curve for some of these players. And that's why I think it's, it's going to be really important for guys like Christian Pulisic, DeAndre Yedlin, John Brooks, the guys that have been there before to lead to lead the way especially in that in that first game in San Salvador. The US has three qualifiers happening in a very short time span. We haven't seen this before. It's due to COVID obviously and having to pack more games into the schedule. How much rotation do you think we'll see in these games and do you think we'll even get to see a starting lineup that is a full best 11 lineup? Yeah, it's a great question. There, It's going to be the same for every team. I don't think any team is going to be able to roll 11 starters in three straight games. That's just not realistic. So it's going to benefit the teams, the bigger teams in, in CONCACAF, Mexico, the United States, Costa Rica to a letter, lesser extent, that have more depth. And we've certainly seen how much depth the U.S. has uncovered just this summer, you know, looking at the Gold Cup, a number of players that I think that, you know, back in, in June, no one would have thought would have been on the qualifying roster. And and now here we are. So there'll be a good deal of ro- rotation. There's there's some questions with injuries, Christian Pulisic status. We're, we're not quite sure about. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens. But there's there's going to be rotation for sure. And I think quite a lot of it. And I think especially up front with the attacking players, you're going to want to see Greg Berhalter, from you know, from a U.S. point of view, the U.S. coach is going to want to see a little bit of stability, I think, in goal and with his his defenders. But you know, when you get to the guys that are going to be running a lot, they're not going to be able to do that for three games in a week. No, it totally makes sense. I agree with you there. I, speaking of goalkeeper, do you think there's any question about Zach Steffen being the number one U.S. goalkeeper right now? A lot of people have a lot of questions about that, Grant. I'm not. I'm not one of them. I think. I think Stefan is the number one for the U.S. He has been since Greg Berhalter took over. Greg obviously knows him from their time together in Columbus. And even though he's not playing for Manchester City, I think when you look at again the comfort level with some of the defenders he's going to have in front of him, John Brooks, Sergio Dest, that we've already mentioned, you you want to have that continuity. As great as Turner was uh, at the Gold Cup, but there is an argument to be made that. You know, Zach Steffen hasn't played a match since June and he's not, you know, he's not starting for Man City in the Premier League week in and week out. And Matt Turner is, is you know, the best goalkeeper in MLS for the best team in MLS. So, you know, I don't think there'll be if, you know, Zach Steffen goes down injured. We saw that happen in the Nations League final. I don't think there'll be any hesit- uh, any hesitation to, to throw Turner in because I think Berhalter believes he's up for the challenge if he gets it. What do you think is a reasonable expectation for points for the U.S. to have after these first three qualifiers? You've obviously got nine points up for grabs, but as we've seen over the years, getting results 
in Central America and Mexico on the road is difficult. Yes. yes. And and last cycle, and we all know what happened last cycle with U.S. not qualifying, it was the first time the U.S. didn't get a single win on the road. And ultimately, you know, there was a lot of things that went into that that failure. But that was certainly one of them. You know, if you, you they, they eke out just one more point somewhere along the way, I think of the Panama game away where they were, the U.S. was winning that game and end up conceding an equalizer. That's the difference between going to a World Cup or not. It's interesting, though, the way these games you're not playing Mexico in the first game. You're playing El Salvador, and no disrespect to them, they're a good team. They showed that in the Gold Cup. They they have a good coach, uh, and and they're you know they're a quality side. But on paper, they're one of the weaker teams you're going to face uh, in in the octagonal. So I think the U.S. has to think it can go in there and get three points in the first game. And if they do that, then it really it gives them a little bit of breathing room. It gives them some momentum going into the the home game against Canada. And we know the formula, Grant. You win your home games and you try to get a point on the road. And if you do that, you're going you're to qualify. But I really think the U.S. in that first game in San Salvador is going to be a little more aggressive than they would be if it was Costa Rica or Mexico. And they're really going to try for the three points to you know take a little bit of the pressure off going into that second match in Nashville against Canada. Now, you're going to be covering these games for Fox Sports. How are you approaching it? Uh, how many of these games are you going to be at? We're just getting sort of into a slightly different phase of covid maybe yeah, that yeah. is is potentially allowing sort of like in-person media opportunities with the u.s team we'll see how much uh yeah. like you know how are you approaching all this yeah i mean the, i won't be at the first the first game uh in el salvador i will be at the second game in nashville and it, it's going to be weird to be back in a stadium and you know to be in a, a press conference that's not on the other side of a, a, a zoom screen um, and, and it's going to be great. I mean, there's, it's, we've done, we've, all of us have done the best we can, you know, given the circumstances, but you know, Grant, that nothing as a journalist beats being there, being on the ground, you know, the, it's the people you run into around town or in the hotel and the little conversations you have and, and just face that face-to-face communication is so valuable. So I, I can't wait. I'm so looking forward to it. We'll see how things shake out with uh, with the other away games. I would expect that you know the the big Mexico Costa Rica games. You know if if, if things are if, if it's if it's able to happen, I would hope that uh, we'll be at those. But for this first window, just going to stay in the in the U.S. for this one. So let's step back a little bit. What's your story? How did you get into soccer journalism in the first place? Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a great question. It's a broad que- question. Um, my parents are from Scotland, so the game was always around. I mean, I remember watching, you know, World Cups in, in Spanish before, uh, you know, before World Cups were broadcast in, on English language, language TV in the United States. And, you know, I, I realize I'm dating myself a little bit saying that, but, you know, that's the reality of it. So, uh, you know, my, my mother is, um, was a longtime journalist and editor. So, you know, there was always books in my house. I, I you know, I devoured the newspaper every single morning. Um, and I was a huge sports fan as a kid growing up and I thought it was amazing that there really was no I grew up in New York City and you know here I am in the biggest city in in you know in the United States and soccer you know from a media point of view just didn't exist I mean it's it's hard to believe and it's hard to explain to people nowadays you know what that was like but you know I'd go to Scotland in the summers and visit my grandparents and and they live just outside Glasgow and of course the the Rangers Celtic rivalry is one of the best in soccer and it's the only sport there and it's all consuming. And it was so weird when I'd come, come back home and like, you couldn't find even the scores a lot of times in the newspaper, but uh, you know, things obviously started to change with the, the world cup in 94 
it started to get more mainstream. Uh, I was fortunate to, to land a job at ESPN and uh, started as a freelance fact checker there. And uh, in the lead up to the 2006 World Cup, there were some opportunities to write about soccer. I, I you know, went to my editors and said, I know about this stuff. Uh, and they said, okay, well, let's see what you got. And it's, it's kind of gone from there. I can't believe it's been this long. I've been incredibly fortunate. Uh, it's the best job in the world. Uh, it, it really is. I mean, you know, I, I was, uh, my own background in sports was as a, a hockey player. I covered a little bit of hockey for ESPN. Uh, you know, but I, you know, I hear, I hear hockey writers talk about going to Buffalo and St. Paul and, you know, great, great cities, but it's really cool when you work in soccer and you end up in, you know, places like Sao Paulo or London or, you know, all over the world. It's, it really is the global game. And that's, that's appealed to me from, from the beginning. I think you and I are very similar in liking that and also having had this sport take us to some places we might never have gone. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, You've done great work, obviously, for a lot of years now for ESPN, for Yahoo Sports. Now you're with Fox Sports, which is great news. How did that come about? Yeah, it's 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 funny. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know what was going to happen after I left Yahoo. I didn't know if I wanted to keep doing this. I mean, I think in a perfect world, you know, I, I would. But I also felt like maybe I was ready for a different challenge. Um, and but you know certainly was was open to any any possibility and it it was something where I was actually quite close to taking another job um, not not in soccer and it sort of came together came together really late but I couldn't be happier it's a great place to work the people that I'm working with are, are fantastic and and obviously the rights holder for the World Cup in the United States which is which is important as well so really my job is to sort of complement you know, all the other stuff that, that Fox is doing on the soccer front. And, you know, I just started over a month ago, but it's been fantastic so far. And, you know, the fun, the fun part hasn't really, really started yet. I mean, once we get into to qualifying and then the World Cup, which is just over a year away, it's really hard to believe. But uh, it's, it's, it's so exciting. And I'm, I'm, I'm so lucky and, and fortunate uh, to, to get another opportunity to do this. It, it was pretty great, actually, because I found out that you had joined Fox through a video post that you had done on uh, on the U.S. I think during it was was it the Gold Cup maybe? Yeah, it uh, was the yeah it was yeah yeah they actually scooped me so uh, you know <laughs> which is fine I mean that you know no problem at all so it was kind of funny the way it happened I started getting all the it was late at night uh, I think it was after the group stage game against Martinique and. Uh, you know, I started my, my, it was a late game. And then, you know, there's the press conference after. And, uh, you know, I started getting text messages, you know, saying, Hey, who, what are you on? Why are you in the press conference? Like who are you working for? And then that video came out. And of course you blew me up right away. So, uh, <laughs> so thank you for that. But, uh, no, it was, it's funny how it worked out, but again, I, I couldn't be more excited. So what is sort of your job description at Fox sports? What are they asking you to do? Yeah, it's a lot of national team stuff. Um, and, and, and MLS is obviously an important property for Fox as well, which is great because that's what my background is in. I was basically, along with Jeff Car Carlisle, the national team beat writer for, for ESPN for a number of years. And uh, I really enjoyed that. And then when I went to Yahoo, it was more, you know, my mandate was a bit more broad. It was covering the, the sport more at, at large. So this is a bit more of a combination of the two. Um, you know, it's great. To, it's great to be back on the national team beat. And it was it was funny to join uh, you know, to join Fox in the middle of a, of a tournament, you know, and I jumped right into it. And then, of course, the U.S. women are, are playing in the Olympics at the same time. So I jumped right back into it. It was it was great. Um, but, you know, there's also some, uh, you know, we're talking on Friday, Ronaldo 
uh, ruined my afternoon. We were supposed to do this interview an hour ago. Um, but uh, so I, I wrote a column, had to rip it up and write another one uh, on him joining Manchester United. So, of course, we're going to cover the, the, the big stories you know, the things that people are talking about, that's sort of my mandate at Fox. And based on what I've seen so far, you're doing some video stuff for them too, right? Yes. Yeah. It's important, as you know, Grant, to, you know, to be able to do everything nowadays. It's not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for the folks out there that still read. Um, but, you know, you have to, you have to be able to do everything now. So uh, it's, it's great. I, I joke that it's, it's easier than writing because when you're done, you're done. You're not sitting around thinking about it, but it's hard. As, as you know, it's, it's not always easy, but it's been it's been okay so far, and I've gotten great coaching. So uh, I hope that'll continue, and I'll continue to improve. Kind of a random question here, but are you sensing, kind of like I am, that there are more hardcore fans of the U.S. men's national team than ever before, even with the failure to qualify for the last World Cup? I really am. Uh, you, you see it. You see the excitement, and it's it's a great time because there was so much negativity, understandably, following that failure in 2017, and and to see, you know, it took a while for it to come back. I mean, I think there was still that that you know lingering sense of impending doom uh, that we've all been feeling for the past year, but but certainly for U.S. fans, it started in 2017, and even during the Gold Cup in 2019, where the U.S. goes to the final against Mexico under Greg Berhalter, they have a great tournament but they lose that game on a late goal one nothing and and again like you know the the sort of that sort of sense of dread and negativity came came roaring back but even in the two years since then there's just been too much good news i think to ignore you know the the players like dest who could have played for the netherlands he chooses the u.s a bunch of players like Gio Reyna that, that have emerged, Chris Richards, guys that have come out of nowhere and all of a sudden they're playing for the, some of the biggest clubs in the world. I mean, there's there's too many to name. Weston Kenny, McKenney, we wouldn't have thought a year and a half ago that he would be at Juventus or that Dest would be at Barcelona. Um, so it's just, it's a, such an exciting time to be a fan of the U.S. men's national team and certainly the results this summer, the two, the two cup wins against Mexico has invigorated the fan base even more. But none of that means any of that now, like or anything now. It's all about World Cup qualifying, and that's what's kind of fascinating about it. And you know, if the if the U.S. team goes down and and loses in El Salvador, or if they don't get three points against Canada, it's it's going to be the same thing. Everyone's gonna is going to come after the team, and and that's the way it should be. I mean, that's how fans are all, are all around the world. But I'm certainly enjoying the excitement that's around around this team. It's good for us in our line of work, Grant. Yeah, no, it definitely is. I guess my last question would just be this seven month World Cup qualifying campaign. It's going to be wild, like something we have not seen ever before from having the three games in in most of the windows to having you know, more teams involved, uh, having you know, 14 games overall. What's sort yeah. of your mood right now as you, as you think about what those seven months could look like and how many sort of unexpected storylines there might be that we can't even imagine right now? Yeah, it's crazy. You, you get sort of used to, you know, when you do this job for a while, the, the, the rhythm, the natural four-year rhythm, qualifying starts at the same time. You kind of you know what it's like. And this is all, and we've all, again, had to adapt and, and, you know, get used to things being different and, you know, watching the Premier League last summer. And August, it was just weird, champion league in august it's like what, what's happening so this is more of the same we're prepared for it uh i think it's great i think more games are better you see a team like canada that probably wouldn't have been in under the old format um and they're involved and that's you know a, a really good team now so 
you know, again, we started off this conversation talking about how great these games are. So who could argue with having, you know, having more of them? And yeah, it's going to be really interesting. You have games in January, which we haven't seen in a long time. Uh, the, the Canada away games in January, that's going to be interesting wherever that's <laughs> wherever that's played. Right. So, um, there, yeah, there's there's going to be so many storylines The the three game windows, I mean, the two game windows were hard enough to, to navigate. Um, so so with three, it's, it's a challenge for everyone. But it's the cool thing is that it's new for everyone also everyone's in the same boat and we're all kind of going through this uh together but i i think it's fantastic i mean what else could you want you know that if you're a if you're a a soccer fan a fan of this team to see your team play more it's great doug mcintyre is a fox sports soccer writer and u.s men's national team insider He's been covering American soccer going back to 2002. You can find him on Twitter at by Doug McIntyre. Doug, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Grant. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Doug McIntyre as well as producer and pundit Chris Whittingham. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. Be safe, everyone. See you next time. 